Welcome back to the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning Podcast for Brain Fact Friday and episode number 167. On the neuroscience of learning that was inspired with an upcoming interview with cognitive neuroscience researcher John Harmon, who will take us through how learning happens in the brain, as well as understanding what happens when performing a task, like throwing a football while under stress. I'm Andrea Samadhi, author and educator from Toronto, Canada, now in Arizona, and like many of our listeners, have been fascinated with learning and understanding the science behind high-performance strategies in our schools, our sports, and workplace environments with ideas that we can all use, understand, and implement immediately. This week, while preparing for our upcoming interviews, I had the opportunity to stop and think before writing this week's Brain Fact Friday. Sometimes life is so busy that we miss the opportunity to reflect on where we began and where we're going and just pedal forward without this reflection, missing some powerful moments of learning. Whatever it is that you're working on, take a minute to look back to where you started It will help you to see how far you have come and give you a boost that I'm sure you could use at this moment. This will create momentum to help propel you forward while increasing your own self-confidence with this self-reflection. This is actually a question in Brendan Burchard's High Performance Planner that was written based on the world's largest study of high performers and how they increase productivity and win. When looking at where we started with this podcast, June 2019, I thought back to some of the earlier episodes and remember before I was 100% comfortable with this topic, I would spend a lot of time preparing for interviews, reading every book the person had written and carefully crafting their questions. Looking back now, I know it was because I wanted to be prepared, but I also didn't want to appear like I didn't know what I was talking about. Listening to these old episodes is another story and not easy to do because we can easily pick up on many areas that needed to be improved, content as well as technical, but we must all start somewhere and progress happens when we do. We can all benefit from looking back to day one of whatever we're working on. What can you learn from this? Once you've looked at where you began, look at where you are now. So I fast forwarded to episode 144 that was recorded this past summer with Tom Beekbane on how to understand everything and episode number 146 with expert in psychology, cognitive neuroscience and neurotechnology, Dr. Howard Rankin on how not to think. And I started to realize that it was okay that I didn't understand everything and saying so was freeing. I stopped reading every single book written by the person to be interviewed and stuck to their most recent and relevant book. While being prepared is important to me, I still practice interview questions, but stopped overdoing it and think this new awareness made me more relaxed with this whole process. Self-awareness goes a long way, and anything we can learn to help us to improve is something we should take note of. I wonder if anything stuck out for you when you look back to where you first began to where you are now. 
With this new awareness, I was finally comfortable enough to invite someone on the podcast whose work in this new field of neuroscience still puzzles me. It's not like I could even explain what he does with his work without reading his bio, but John Harmon said it best while preparing for his interview when he mentioned to me that understanding a subject and explaining it are two completely different things. This lit up a bunch of lights for me. I remember talking about this same concept with Che and Pav on their podcast this summer. It was about teaching, learning, and leadership, where they're talking about how a math teacher can practice problems that they know how to solve over and over again with students, but get caught up in forgetting how to teach a new concept because they're using rote memory. This math teacher began trying to solve problems with a class that they had not yet practiced. This is effortful with some risk involved, especially if we fail. We risk not knowing the answer or looking less than intelligent in front of others. So with these learning lessons in mind, for this week's Brain Fact Friday, I want to focus on how we learn. We did cover this topic on episode 161 with John Almerod, Douglas Fisher, and Nancy Fry on their new book, How Learning Works, that unpacks the science of how students learn and translates that knowledge into promising principles or practices that can be implemented in the classroom or utilized by students on their own learning journey. And I do recommend this episode and their book. But for this week's Brain Fact Friday, did you know that learning changes the brain and that moderate stress is beneficial for learning? So when I was reflecting back on the podcast with what we've learned over the past couple of years, it was actually changing my brain. When I asked you to think about what you've learned since day one of whatever it is you're working on, it created a new neural pathway in your brain and changed it as well. From the point of view of neurobiology, learning involves changing the brain. We've mentioned on previous episodes that neuroplasticity, or how the brain changes in response to a stimuli, happens when we're able to create an environment for learning that is free of distractions, allowing for breaks where we can have those aha moments, where we know and understand what we're learning, and this process produces new neurons, which is called neurogenesis. Mary Helen Imordino-Yang from episode 100, who covered the neuroscience of social and emotional learning, reminds us that learning is a very active process, not one of investigating and retaining like a squirrel in just nuts or a file drawer stores information. Imordino-Yang, a professor of education, psychology, and neuroscience at the University of Southern California's Rossier School of Education explains that life exposes a brain to a limitless ocean of information. Even if a person manages to memorize a portion of it, to squirrel it away, it does them little good unless they can access it at the right moment and apply it to real-world context, which is what I did when I realized that saying I didn't understand everything really made an impact on how I'm preparing for future interviews. And whatever you uncovered should have an impact on what you do moving forward. That's learning in action. The task of learning is to transform some of that information into knowledge that can be used and acted upon. And this is what creates new neural pathways in the brain that causes the brain to change with each new experience or pathways built. 
We must also understand that moderate stress is beneficial for learning, while mild and extreme stress are detrimental to learning. When I first began presenting on the impacts of stress on learning in the brain, all too often we would talk about stress reduction techniques, since it's true that too much stress causes brain shrinkage, but the right amount of stress can promote learning. Since we're all different, what could be considered to be moderate stress for one person could be severe for another, so each person needs to find their own balance of stress that in turn motivates them. You can see the infographic in the show notes with the 12 ways to combat stress that came from my presentation with educators. It was on stress learning in the brain. But this week's Brain Fact Friday made me think about how it's important to find the right level of challenge or stress to motivate each person towards improved performance. If we know that learning changes the brain and that moderate stress is beneficial for learning, what else can we do to facilitate learning? While researching, I found two key ingredients for learning, motivation or a willingness to learn, and the importance of a cognitively stimulating environment. The first, motivation or willingness to learn, is the starting point to learning anything new. One way to motivate the brain is to expose it to anything new and unfamiliar. When I think about some of the articles I read on the topic of neuroscience that go over my head, there's something inside me that causes me to stop and figure out the meaning one step at a time. When you have a clear why behind what you're learning, it's easier to put in the time and effort needed. The ability to learn new things, whether it's calculus or hitting a fastball or studying neuroscience, requires stretching the brain past the point of what's familiar or comfortable. I remember students always asking me, why do I need to know this? How does this apply to the real world? And while the real world application is important, I think that understanding how we're learning is the key to future success. Once we know how we learn best as individuals, we can learn anything and the opportunities we can create for ourselves are limitless. Raising our next generation in a cognitively stimulating environment is another key ingredient for learning, where we ask our children or our students challenging questions that make them think, instead of just sitting them down in front of the television, video games, or computers. Children who grow up in cognitively stimulating and linguistically rich environments tend to be more sophisticated in their knowledge of the world and their ability to grasp things. As a parent, this one always catches me off guard, as there are many times that my children make a mess of the house creating forts to play in, and I have to remember to let them create these stimulating environments for them and suspend my need for order in the home. When I sit back, watch, and ask questions about their forts, there's always a story behind them that goes much deeper than what I could ever imagine. It's also those times when we don't have access to Wi-Fi that this type of creativity flows. When we spend more time in nature, walking together, laughing and playing, we learn so much more about each other than from our usual school or work environments. It's just being aware of how to create these stimulating environments to be sure that we're always encouraging that learning takes place. And Mardino Yang reminds us that education is not about hammering facts, procedures, and information into a person's memory. 
It's about building mental skills and dispositions that will help people learn and succeed throughout life. While practicing math skills certainly has its place, so does walking through a forest and letting the imagination and creativity flow. Imordino Yang's work with students in Montessori schools also revealed many differences versus traditional schools, specifically that Montessori students were more effective at directing their own learning and that they seemed more comfortable with not knowing things, which are characteristics that seem to correlate with improved learning at any age. Which brings this week's Brain Fact Friday into a close. It's okay to not know all of the answers. But when presented with something new and unfamiliar, we now have two new strategies to increase our own motivation, as well as for our students or children, and hold our attention, stretch our brain past the point of what's familiar to the unfamiliar, which is how learning takes place. It's not easy, it takes time and effort, but we all have the ability to use an understanding of our brain to improve our ability to learn. See you next week. If you're enjoying the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast, please don't forget to subscribe so you'll stay up to date with our new episodes. While you're there, please feel free to give us a review or a five-star rating as it helps others find us. For more information on our programs, books, and tools for schools and the workplace, visit us at www.achieveit360.com. <laughs>